Well, good morning. Um, I'm super honored to be here. As Mike said, I have a little history of your pastors. And so I'm excited for this morning. What we're going to do is we're going to go get into our text today. If you have a Bible, I'd love for you to open with me to the Gospel of Luke. And we're going to read through our text, and we're going to pray and ask God to speak to us, and then we're going to sort of work our way through it and ask God um, for clarity on what it is specifically he's speaking to us. So if you don't have a Bible, that's okay. We're going to put the words on the screen for you, but we're going to be in Luke chapter 5, starting in verse 1. Really popular story here. Jesus is calling his disciples. We're going to read through this together. I'm reading out of the ESV version. That's the extra spiritual version, if you don't have that. Uh, and so here's how it reads. It says, on one occasion while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake. But the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked the people to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and he taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled for their partners in the other boat to come over and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord." For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we, we thank you for your word. And God, I thank you for this church. It is evident that you are doing an incredible work here. And so, God, I ask you to remove me from this conversation, that your spirit would speak very clearly. God, I believe you have a specific word for everyone in here this morning. And, Lord, we trust you to deliver on that. And it's in Jesus' name we all pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Hey, guys, real quick, this morning, how many parents do we have uh, in the crowd? Any parents? Okay, awesome. So lots of parents here. Um, awesome, incredible, full transparency. I'm not a parent. Okay, so I actually just got married three months ago. Three months ago, uh, yes, praise God. Um, my wife Megan is here. It was a long, it was a long journey of singleness. Um, you know, they say singleness is a gift. It was, it was like sort of like God is like you're not supposed to hold on to it that long. I so I just ventured for a long time through that. By the grace of God, I met my wife on my sabbatical in Austin. Um, it's been a blessing being married. It's been really awesome. And uh, so we're excited about that. That has nothing to do with the sermon. So parents in the place this morning. Now, I don't know what it's like to be a parent, but I know what it's like to be a child of a parent. And there's a particular phrase that parents use, uh, not you because you're great parents, um, but things like when, when you command or instruct your child to do something that they don't understand or they don't want to obey, um, this phrase is sort of interjected at the end of that to sort of make sure that they obey what you've commanded. Anybody want to take a guess at what this phrase is? Perfect. Okay, we can just walk off right now. You've got the sermon. So 
This is the idea. So because I said so, your kid may say, you know what, Mom? I'm tired of eating vegetables. I want to eat ice cream for dinner. You say, no, you need to eat vegetables. I don't know why you need to eat them. That They're supposed to be healthy for you. Eat them. They don't want to because I said so. Your child doesn't want to go to bed on time. And so you say, you know what? You need to get sleep. I don't want to. Well, you're going to bed because I said so. I talked to a dad who was telling me the young man asked his daughter out. He had no reason for to deny his request, but he did. Ultimately, the kid asked why. He just says, because I said so. This is something that parents use. Now, as a child, you may not understand why your parents are instructing you in a particular way, but you try and hope to trust their heart for you, even when you can't understand their command or instructions toward you. Now, we're going to shift gears a little bit. How many of you, if you are a follower of Jesus today, here, this morning, have ever had a season in your life, maybe a season in your life, uh, a moment in your life, uh, a year of your life, maybe it was this past year where um, the decisions you were making or maybe something you sensed God was leading you to do made no logical sense beyond the fact that you believed he was telling you to do so. Think with me. Every believer in their life comes across a season, a decision, a path, a moment, a transition, where really the only thing you have to hang your hat on at the end of the day is because he said so. And here's the reality of Christianity, if you want it. We live our lives based on what he says. So this morning, what we're going to do is I'm going to lay out three keys when it comes to living a life according to what Jesus said, even when the instruction that he gives may not make sense to us in the moment. Three keys to living a life based on what he said. Okay, so here's what we're going to do. I'm going to give you these keys, but before we do, I want to hop back right into our text in verse 1. If you can, Luke chapter 5, verse 1, we're going to reread some of this and lay these out. Verse 1, on one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake. But the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. If you take notes, here's our first key. Obedience doesn't have to make sense. Obedience doesn't have to make sense. In our story today, We meet Jesus on the lake of Gennesaret. It's also called the Sea of Galilee. And Jesus has sort of gathered a crowd. And as many Jewish teachers would in that day, he he gathers this crowd in order to project his voice. He gets out onto the water in a boat. Obviously, they didn't have microphones in those days. And so this would help him project his voice into the crowd that he's teaching. It's sort of somewhere in the middle of his message as he's teaching people somewhat like this. He turns to his friend Simon that we will later know as Peter, sort of the the tribal leader of the disciples. And he turns to Peter and he gives him this sort of odd request. Put out into the deep and let down your nets. Now this command, if we're just sort of reading it here this morning, without context doesn't sound that unfamiliar. I mean, it's pretty normal, sound nothing crazy. They're in a boat. But what you have to know is Jesus was the son of a carpenter. 
So here's a carpenter speaking to professional fishermen, guys who apparently have been at this all night and have caught nothing. And so they're thinking, you know what, Jesus, I really appreciate you. It sounds really awesome. I loved your message, by the way. I was kind of tuning in a little bit as I was cleaning my net. Um, I don't know if you know this. Um, <laughs> we're fishermen, and you're a carpenter, and uh, we've been at this all night. And uh, so I really appreciate your suggestion, but it uh, doesn't make a lot of sense. Here's what you got to know about the Sea of Galilee. So you guys, we got any fishermen here? I feel like this church has to have a lot of fishermen. There's no way. This is Bulverde, Texas. Okay, so, so fishing in that day was a little different. You didn't have a rod and reel, okay? So you used nets. And that's a little bit different of an approach if you've ever used a net to fish. And so in the Sea of Galilee, number one, you wouldn't fish during the day. You would fish at night. Secondly, if you were going to fish during the day, you certainly wouldn't fish out in the deep. Thirdly, because these guys use nets, after they fish all night, they spend hours cleaning and setting aside their nets so that they would be preserved so they could continue to fish the next night. So what Jesus is saying doesn't only, it, it not only doesn't make sense, it's actually completely exhausting. It's going to cause these guys a ton more work. So it's not as simple as just cast a line. This is unravel hours of work you've just done, listen to me, and obey. And so that's what Jesus says. His command, his instruction doesn't make sense. Now I want to stop here. How often, guys, as a follower of Jesus, is our obedience tied to something making sense to us? Think about this. Like, there are things we read in the Bible that, that don't take a lot of faith, I would say. For instance, one of the things me and my wife have been practicing lately is the Sabbath. So the Bible commands us in the Old Testament to take a Sabbath, that it was a holy day set apart. It doesn't, it doesn't take a lot of explanation for me to convince you you need to take a break. How many of you feel like you need a break? Some of you wish you weren't even here right now. I get it. You're like, I should not have come here to listen to this man. I should have slept in. Amen. I understand that. Me and my wife are talking a lot about that these days. It doesn't take a lot of explanation to convince you why you need a Sabbath. Just don't take one and you'll figure out why. It's not going to turn out well. But there are other things that we learn from Jesus in his word. Maybe the spirit prompts us that don't necessarily come with a why. And here's what happens, guys. Most of the time, it won't make sense until obedience. Most of the time, the things God is calling you to do, prompting in your heart, whispering in your spirit, won't make sense until obedience. It takes saying yes today to learn what God means one day. Listen to how it continues in the text, verse five. Simon answers, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. Listen to this. But at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both of the boats so that they began to sink. I love how the NIV translates this verse 5 in, in Luke 5. The NIV translates it like this. Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But if you say so, I will let down the nets. If you say so, I will. 
When I was uh, 25 years old, I've been at the same church, ACC, for 11 years. I got saved when I was 20 years old on Halloween night. It's a crazy story. And I joined a brand new church plant when I was 21. We were just launching. I'd been there for years. I started as a volunteer on the worship team, sort of singing background, became the worship pastor. And a few years into that, my pastor approached me and said, hey, I want you to consider praying about starting a community group for young adults, people who are sort of in the workforce, coming out of college, maybe not yet married, sort of in that transitional phase. Uh, We think that there's an opportunity here. Now, Uh, Full disclosure, we didn't have really any college students or young adults in our church. We were primarily made up of younger families, so I really didn't even know why I was at this church. Like, there wasn't really any logical reason demographically why I would be there, yet I sensed God's peace. And so when, when my pastor approached me, honestly, my first reaction was, no, no, I don't think I, don't think I will. I, I literally had no interest in this. I had never led anything in my life. I had certainly never led sort of a Bible study type format. And so I had no credentials, no experience, and no clue. At that time, I was a full-time musician. So every day, I sort of left open to take gigs and make a financial living. And so for me to say yes to this not only didn't make sense, but it sort of stopped my opportunity to get gigs on that day. But I prayed about it. And I sensed, you know what, I think God is telling me to do this. And so I said yes. And I moved forward. Honestly, I had no idea what we would do. I thought, you know what, what do people do in Bible studies? Like they get together, eat a pizza, and like, you know, talk, talk about a book or something. You know, so I was like, all right, well, we'll read a book and we'll eat a pizza or something. So we met together for our first time. We had like 15 young adults, which we were like, this is crazy. Oh my gosh, 15. Um, which isn't that crazy now looking back. But, um, and over time, God, here's what's crazy. God blew that thing up to where we were gathering about 250 young adults a week. And it was pretty simple. There was nothing fancy about it. In fact, for years, I didn't even have a microphone. I just straight preached open air. And God took what was a very simple yes, sort of a, a delayed, um, begrudgingly given yes, and multiplied it. And that yes didn't make sense on that day until I look back in time. Now, here's, here's the reality, guys. That's one really great story of like a time I've given a yes. There's thousands where I haven't given that yes. And the reality is, is because oftentimes my obedience is so tied to something making sense. But what you have to remember is this. Obedience doesn't have to make sense. Here's our second key if you're writing notes. This is our second key. The commission is now your occupation. The commission is now your occupation. Look at verse eight. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. So also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. Now, check this out. This is probably, guys, let's be honest, this is probably the greatest catch in the Sea of Galilee ever. Okay, anybody ever been to the Sea of Galilee? One person, a couple people. That's actually awesome. I was not expecting anyone. Um, So I wouldn't know. My point is, it's probably the greatest. Two boats full, 
They're sinking. This is incredible. If I'm Peter and these guys, I'm blown away. I'm thinking, what are we going to do next with all these fish? But here's what happens. First, Peter comes to Jesus straight repentantly. He comes to Jesus, falls on his knees, and here's what this means. When you get a right revelation of who God is, a right revelation always produces repentance. It always produces you to fall at the knees of Jesus. And he wasn't even focused on the miracle that just happened because he was focused on who was in front of him. But here's what happens. This story wasn't about catching fish. It was about commissioning men. Do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. Jesus calls these disciples into a new calling. Now, we as believers, we call this the Great Commission. Has anybody ever heard of this? A few people. I'm going to read it for you. Here's how it goes in Matthew 28, verses 19 through 20. It says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. That is sort of, guys, let's be honest, that's sort of the mandate for the church. It's not the great suggestion. It's the great commission. It's not the great omission, though it could be. It's the great commission. Barna Research is like a, a really famous research company that they, they did a study where they believed that upwards to 60 to 70% of Christians didn't know what the great commission was. And the reason I say that's not to shame anyone. The reason I say that is it's so easy to lose track of why we're actually here. It's so easy to lose track to why we actually do this. That if you're around long enough, when you, when you come to church, as you subscribe to following Jesus with your life, you start to think that this whole thing is about bands and budgets and butts and seats. And before you know it, you forgot that actually all of these guys were commissioned towards a mandate to go and make disciples. And in fact, that same commission that applied to them applies to you and I today. Because it wasn't about their occupation. It was about a commission. Jesus does something in this moment where he reveals himself to these men. But instead of taking advantage of that to bolster their occupation, he switches their calling. And he says, you're the commission to catch men is now your primary occupation. Here's what this means. It doesn't ultimately matter what you do. It matters why you do it. I'm going to say that real quick. Anybody in here um, looking for a job right now? Raise your hand if you are. I'm just going with this in a moment. A couple people. That's probably not something you want to tell everybody. Forgive me. Um, I deal with a lot of young adults. And so I led a young adult ministry for years. I meet a lot of guys who really wrestle with what they're supposed to do with their life. You ever met somebody? Like maybe they're in your life and they're constantly wrestling with, I just don't know what I'm supposed to do with my life. And it vacillates all the time. And I think I'm supposed to do this. And maybe now I'm supposed to do this. And maybe now I'm supposed to do this. Let me just set you free this morning. What you do with your life matters very little in the grand scheme of things. It is why you do it. Because the commission to go and make disciples is your primary occupation. And that can be fleshed out in an assortment of different gigs, referenced by the fact that all these disciples were plain fishermen. Because it matters why you do it, not what you do. So the commission is now 
your occupation. I had a buddy of mine who uh, I've been discipling, so I, I lead this little discipleship group, and he's a baseball player at UTSA. His name is Shane. And Shane is really, really gifted. And unfortunately, at the beginning of this year, as he was starting his senior season, he tore what's called the ulnar collateral in his elbow. Anybody know this ligament if you're in the medical field? In baseball, it's a pretty primary surgery called the Tommy John surgery. And so he tore his Tommy John, which really sort of dashed his whole season, and he had to take the rest of the season off, and possibly could, could sort of doom his draft day buzz. And so his opportunity to get drafted by an MLB team. And so he's sort of telling me this, and he's just got like such high spirits. And I'm like, no, like, why are you encouraged about this? And I'm sort of devastated about this. And we begin to talk, and he's sort of navigating the workforce, trying to figure out what field he wants to go into. And he calls me, and he literally says this. He says, you know, I'm looking at certain jobs. He said, this one job I think is going to give me the opportunity to maybe share the gospel a little bit more at work. And this other job, it's, it's sort of like a closed-mouth policy. I can't necessarily do that. And it's not to say that one is right and one isn't, but I just thought it was so mind-boggling that this young kid who's just starting to follow Jesus, coming out of this incredibly devastating loss of his senior season, is navigating his decisions on what he does with his life, that he would have the ability to share his faith at work. That may sound like a minor thing to you for a young man to understand that his greatest occupation is the commission of Jesus is pretty powerful. And I was encouraged that he gets this. Just what Jesus told the disciples, he understands. You're really called to go fish for men. And here's the last key I wanna leave you with this morning. Key number three. Forsaking our lives is for the sake of the gospel. Forsaking our lives is for the sake of the gospel. Look at our last verse, verse 11. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. When they brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Here at the end of our story, Jesus has performed this miracle. The disciples have witnessed it, experienced it, they felt it. They've heard from Jesus, this new calling and commission. And then it says they leave everything and follow him. I want you to put yourself in the story. Let's say we're standing on the Sea of Galilee. This is just happening to you. What are you doing if you just catch the largest catch of fish in the Sea of Galilee ever? I mean, if it's me, I'm thinking, you know what, guys? We got we to take advantage of this. Okay, we're going to start a red lobster. Right out here in Judea, we're going to be blowing it up. Gulf Coast City, Fish City Grill. Uh, I don't know what you guys have in Bulverde. Um, we're going to have to blow this up. We got like 200 fish in this boat. We're going to take advantage of this. You know, Jesus, can you do that again? We're going to go hit the farmer's market, blow this up. This is probably going to feed the whole community. I mean, this would be a nest egg that they could sit on for months probably, take care of their families, Guys who are struggling, obviously they aren't the greatest fishermen ever because they spent all night, caught nothing, like not even anything. And so I'm thinking like, look, we've been waiting, we've been holding out, we need to take advantage of this moment. But what happens here? Peter and the disciples, it's, it doesn't say that. In fact, it says they left everything and followed him. What happened to those fish? That's what I want to know. 
Is this bad stewardship? I mean, you caught 200, you know, we would play this in our mind. Well, that's just not, that's just not good stewardship, Jesus. I can't follow you. Are you kidding me? Look at these fish. This place is going to stink. The HOA is going to kill me. I can't do this. So these guys, though, the text doesn't read anything about what they do with these fish. Now, if anybody's ever seen The Chosen, it's a really popular TV show, Christian show. Anybody seen this? It's incredible. They have an episode straight on this text, which actually sort of gave me the inspiration to preach this. And in their episode, they sort of paint this picture of like, you know, Peter and James and John leave the fish, but they live it in the good care of the hands of Zebedee, and they're taking it, and the whole community's fed, and it's like, it sounds really great. Reality is we have no idea if that's what happened. In fact, it could have been just blatant lack of regard, stewardship. They just left those fish on the shore, and they rolled out. The point I think Luke, the writer here, is trying to make is just how drastic and clear it was of their commitment to Jesus. In the middle of this incredible miracle, they leave everything and follow Jesus. And, and here's the deal. It wasn't about fish. The whole point of this miracle wasn't about fish. You see, if I was a prosperity gospel teacher, what I'd do right now is I'd tell you, you know what? Listen, brother, you just don't have enough faith. And if you had faith and obeyed Jesus, he'd double your boat. You've been fishing all night. You caught nothing. Guess what? You just cast to the side. Now both boats are filled. But guess what? In fact, that's incredibly heretical to the text because what happens is they catch everything and realize that what they caught mattered nothing because the real catch was that they now get to follow Jesus. And here's the principle Jesus lays out for us. To follow after Jesus is to forsake your own life. To follow after Jesus' life is to forsake your own life. If you don't believe me, listen to how the gospel paints this in other places. Luke 14, 33. Therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. How about Matthew 16, 24? Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. How about Mark 8? For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake in the Gospels will save it. As Dietrich Bonhoeffer once famously said, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. We forsake our lives for the sake of the Gospel. So what does this mean for you? Now, it doesn't mean you should leave your kids here at my CBCB, okay? It doesn't mean you should quit your job. It doesn't mean necessarily that you will, in fact, leave anything. But what it does mean is this. It means that my life isn't the point, but a pointer to Jesus. It means my life, the, the greatest gift is actually the giver. It means that to come after Jesus is to count the cost. For these men, the cost was they, they actually walked away from their vocation, from what they knew their entire lives, for their families for a season, from their friends, maybe from their status in the community, from financial stability. There was much that these guys were leaving in order to follow after Jesus. It means that the point of my life is more than my life. Because the gospel calls me to forsake my life for the sake 
of others. I love how 1 Corinthians 9 paints this, the Apostle Paul. I'm just going to read this to you. He says this. He says, though I am free from all, I made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law to win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak that I might win the weak. I become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings because we forsake our lives for the sake of the gospel. So we live our lives based on what he says. And that can be difficult. And so we have to remember these things that Jesus teaches even the first disciples. That obedience, it doesn't have to make sense. That this call, this commission, that's actually now my occupation. And that the point of the gospel is to forsake my life to share it with others. But I want to make this very specific as we close this morning. And I want you to take some time maybe to, to ask God even personally. Because I believe even this morning, God is sharing something very specific with you. And this is what's powerful about the Word of God. The Word of God is living and active. And so what that means is, though I'm preaching a particular text right now and I'm reading from these scriptures, God is downloading totally different things into your heart. And he's speaking specific things to you right now. And so I want to leave you the space to do that. And I love this in verse 5. We're going to pull this up on the screen. In verse 5, when Jesus commissions Peter to cast his net out into the deep, a command that made no sense to him, that was going to be completely out of the way and possibly a waste of his time, Peter responds with this phrase, If you say so, I will. And what I want you to do this morning is I want you to really think and maybe ask the Lord even in your heart, maybe even on your drive home, how would you fill in the blank? What is it that maybe God has been speaking to you in this season? What is it that maybe God has been sort of drawing you towards or, or sort of pulling at you about? What is that thing? What is it that when I say this, like when I say, if you say so, I will, that, that step of faith, that, that movement of faith, what comes to your mind? Is it starting to share the gospel with people? Or maybe for you, it's, it's leaving that sinful relationship that you know God's not in. Maybe it's moving to that city or taking that job. Maybe it's stepping out of your comfort. Maybe it's giving to church. Listen, sometimes, guys, obeying what Jesus says to you means sometimes you can't listen to what others are saying to you. Even well-meaning people who want to speak life into you cannot fully speak to what Jesus, through his word and spirit, are saying to you. And so what is God saying to you this morning that you could respond, if you say so, I will? As Mike said, um, me and my wife, we're in a really big transition uh, of our lives. For the last 11 years, I've been at the same church serving in a multitude of different opportunities, and it's been a huge, huge blessing. Basically, my whole walk with Jesus has been formed at this one 
community. But during that time, I started to sense that I felt God was drawing me towards this idea of church planting. What I mean is going into a community or a neighborhood or a context that doesn't have gospel roots and foundations, and maybe there's incredible opportunity. Uh, one of the greatest church planters we know of in the Bible, his name was the Apostle Paul. Most people believe he planted upwards to 20 churches. Half of the New Testament that we read and study was written to the churches that he planted. Going into a place that has a desperate need for the gospel and planting yourself there to reach people and make disciples. I began feeling this draw even in my 20s, but just waiting on God on where that would be and when that would be. And finally, a couple years ago, I felt God gave me that clarity as I was sitting downtown San Antonio one day in the afternoon drinking a cup of coffee. It was like all that time God had finally given me the clarity downloading into my heart on what I was called to do, and that was to step out and plant this church. So starting on July 1, I'm actually leaving my church uh, after 11 years and stepping out into a community where we plan to live and to work and to play and to share the gospel and try to make disciples. And in all reality, I have no idea, guys, how this is going to go. Absolutely zero idea. But I tell people all the time, I'm not afraid to fail. I'm afraid to succeed at the wrong things. And so we're going to step out in faith, and we don't know what's going to happen, but we could use your prayer. We could use a lot of prayer. That you would pray that, that God would draw the right people to go with us, that God would help provide for us financially as we begin this journey, and that God would open up doors for us to meet people and share the gospel and make disciples. And just as you guys have an incredibly healthy gospel-centric community here, that maybe one day we would see this in the heart of downtown San Antonio. And we could use all of your prayer. And I'm even going to say this. I'll be right outside uh, in the lobby today. If you want to come over, and, and even if there's a line, just lay your head, hand on my head, walk away, just, just tap it with prayer. Um, as you walk by, just be like, this prayer. And then keep walking. No, you can stop. Talk to me. But this morning, um, I want to pray for us, specifically how God is speaking to you this morning uh, through this message. So if you would, join me in a word of prayer. Lord Jesus, I want to say thank you. Thank you for the opportunity, God, to, uh, to hopefully encourage and exhort your people. Um, God, thank you for this church, this incredible community this incredible city. I know, God, you're doing amazing things out here in Boulevardy, and the growth um, residentially and commercially is, is obvious. God, I just pray that you would bless this church. God, I thank you for Larry and Mike and Joy and all the leadership here. I thank you what you're doing through them. God, I just pray your blessing and protection over them. Um, God, I pray against any attacks in this community. I pray for unity in this body of Christ. Lord, I thank you. Um, for these incredible people. And God, right now I'm praying uh, for this specific word. Um, Lord, if you're drawing people to a specific step of obedience, whatever that is, uh, whether it's small in their eyes or, or large, whether that's a huge step of transition or just a small step of faith, God, I just pray that you would um, give them extreme clarity. Even on the drive home as they, as they talk with their spouse or their kids and they mull over the message, God, that you would just sort of like, bring to mind some things that, that you're drawing them towards, God, that you're good, you're faithful, and we can trust you in these small steps or these big steps. 
And God, you always meet us where we are. And even if it doesn't make sense to us, God, it does make sense to you. And it takes saying yes today to know what you mean one day. And God, we want those stories. I ask for your forgiveness, God, for all the times that I have failed to obey you, for all the times that maybe you gave me that nudge or that prod and, and I, just, I just tried to not listen or it didn't make sense and so I didn't walk into it. God, I ask you to forgive me. And I pray, Lord, that you would give me the courage to step out in faith, those small steps, those small yeses, when it doesn't make sense. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, church.